Welcome to Lead On Purpose. I'm James Lachlan, former seven-time world champion musician and now executive coach to global leaders and high performers. In every episode, I bring you an inspiring leader or expert to help you lead your life and business on purpose. Thanks for taking the time to connect today and investing in yourself. Enjoy the show. How much time do you invest in your brain? Well, look, our brain dictates so many things. It's our largest asset. We've got to look after it, right? But often we're putting things on our skin and we're doing all these other things that care for our bodies, but our brain dictates so much. I came across a product a wee while ago called Flow State, and it's made such a difference. And look, they offer functional mushrooms that sharpen cognition. They really boost energy and definitely strengthen immunity. And they actually use uh, one of their key ingredients is lion's mane, right? So lion's mane is popular among really peak performing athletes and those wanting an edge. It's known as the brain mushroom. And it's currently being studied extensively for its nerve growth factor potential as a means to ease the symptoms of Alzheimer's and for treating inflammation in the body. Now, look, the thing I love about these products They don't taste like mushrooms. You can mix them in with your tea. They're a great replacement for coffee. But I actually love the PM mushroom blend, the evening one. It really helps me sleep. And to know that my brain is getting extra nutrients is just next level. The one thing that's really important for me is what's in there. So they've tested heavily at Hill Laboratories for heavy metals, pesticide residue, microbials, and also at Massey University for active compounds. So I urge you, if you love your brain and you want to go the extra mile to nurture it, head on over to flowstate.nz and you can use the coupon code LEADONPURPOSE to get 15% off. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get home And I think, what am I eating tonight? It's the last thing I want to do. I don't know what to cook. I don't know what's in the cupboard or in the fridge. And it often leads to poor choices like ordering some takeaways. So recently, Caroline and I started eating green dinner table. And it's absolutely amazing. After a long day when I'm knackered, I know that when I get home, there's going to be a great recipe and all the ingredients I need right there in the fridge. And look, I absolutely love it. I've been doing it for several months and it means I don't have to think at the end of the day. And I just know that I'm going to get good, nutritious, wholesome food. And look, it's plant-based, which has so many benefits. So if you're a meat eater, perhaps you might want to start on maybe just three, like a three-day plan. So you've got three evening meals for you and your partner or you and your family, depending on what option you want to go for. But the food is delicious. It's so nutritious and it means we don't need to think And as leaders of families, teams, and organizations, what we put in our bodies is just so crucially important. So I urge you to go and check it out. And I want to give you 20% off your first order. So you can go to greendinnertable.co.nz and use the coupon code PURPOSE. Are you an underdog? Look, we've all been underdogs. 
And there's something about the underdog mentality that really gives you that hunger. And I believe underdogs are hungry, they're passionate, they're driven, they've got a lot of desire. And today, I'm welcoming in best-selling author Colby Sharma. His latest book is called Underdog. And look, he's a resiliency expert focused on helping organizations unlock greater resiliency in their teams to produce great work and master deep change. We went deep today in our conversation talking about what the underdog mentality is, how we can really unlock it and that shadow self, how we suppress that and step into our greatness in these uncertain times. So please sit back and enjoy the show. Colby, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the Lead on Purpose podcast. James, my friend, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's great to be here with you and your wonderful listeners around the world. Hey, we've got an exciting thing to talk about today, you and I. Now, you're already a best-selling author, but you've just released another epic book. And we're going to go deep on what that book is all about and why every leader who's listening, whether they're leading their families, whether they're leading organizations, teams, or leading themselves why they need to get this book. So let's get started with this. What is the key message from the underdog? It's really really a, a very timely, yet very personal, yet very universal book on how to shed fear, eviscerate doubt, but most importantly, eviscerating self doubt and to own your greatest powers. That is the central through line through the book, shedding fear, eviscerating self-doubt, and owning your greatest powers. That's so powerful. And it's really interesting because I feel like self-doubt is one of the thing, one of the things that really sits under most leaders' psychology. We have this self-doubt, this imposter syndrome. When the pandemics come along, when the life ambushes kick in, this self-doubt kicks in, like, whoa, am I the right person to do this? Where do I go next? So why is it important that the everyday leader can really embrace the underdog mindset to push through the self-doubt? Well, I mean, when I started to write the book, it was all the time self-doubt. There's so many pangs of self-doubt that would introduce itself and then leave, introduce itself and then leave. And, you know, it was I was faced with a lot of self-doubt writing this book, especially because I knew that a great product was in the office. It was only by getting through self-doubt that I was making it as good as can be, retooling the language. Even up until, you know, three days ago, I was retooling the language. I got a proof copy, retooled the language. So for your wonderful listeners today that are leading teams, that are leading organizations, leading themselves, leading families, it's important to push through self-doubt because that is the way to get through, to unlock, your high performance self mm. by embracing self-doubt and, you know, self-doubt can lead to ego. And we can get into that in a second, but only if we let it, it's important to really embrace and sit with self-doubt because that is how it's an incubation chamber for your higher potential. It's an incubation chamber for, you know, unlocking your own truest, and highest potential. 
And that's so like to me, that's empowering to say, hey, sit with your self-doubt. This is not something to be avoided. It's that whole idea of the shadow self and we can push it down, but it's going to come up in ugly ways. And so what you're suggesting is that we all actually need to sit with and highlight, like get a, a spotlight and highlight that self-doubt. So I love to go tactical. Self-doubt is a friend. It's not an enemy. It's a friend, actually. It's a companion. But it can become a very dangerous fiend if you let it become that. Mm. And it's it's very important to, to have that mindset and really not just having the mindset, but calibrating that response so when self-doubt comes, we're not in this egoic kind of trap. And we see that from Freud, where in perpetual tension between the heroic self and the egoic self. Yeah, and that's so vital, I think, for us to all understand. You know, the response to stress, the response to adversity really dictates where we move, right? So let's get tactical, because I know that my listeners love takeaways and love tactics that they can really embrace both for themselves and the people that they lead. So how do we, first of all, become aware of that self-doubt? Where, where does that start? Well, it, it starts at the conceptualization of, you know, I want to do this project or, you know, Q4 is coming up and I want to embrace, uh, sorry, I want to embrace this new strategy that, you know, the other board might not sit with. And you're faced with the self-doubt and it's important to, to marinate in the self-doubt. It's important to really say, okay, others are doubting me. How much am I going to be willing to doubt myself in the furtherance to this objective? You know, I, I share this uh, model. It's called the windshield wiper method. And if you're faced with self-doubt and you're faced with, you know, lacking a purpose and you're lacking, you know, that clarity to push forward, I'll make, allow me to explain. So imagine you're driving your car in a road in a rainstorm and rain is coming down on the windshield. But when you activate the windshield wipers and it starts to remove the droplet, one droplet at a time, when you believe in yourself, one strategy at a time, going incrementally, when you believe in yourself, one day at a time, the self-doubt recedes. And then what comes is clarity, what comes with vision to go forward. I love it. I love that, that kind of the visual of that. And when I hear that, the thing I hear is this. You can choose to be a self-beater or a self-builder, but to be a self-builder, it's a daily incremental commitment to building exactly. that muscle of belief. Exactly. You know, as I share in the underdog, I mean, when we're leading teams. You know, I have this concept, T-H-E-R-E, -E, the human experience required for excellence. We have to, we are a foundation of people that have ultimately succeeded over self-doubt. And it's a time for us to embrace our own potentials, other strengths, and not be afraid to say, you know, I'm having a trouble with this. Can you help me out? Mm, I love it. And Colby, in your life, where have you been the underdog? Has it been, you know, back in high school? Has it been somewhere in your adult life? Where have you felt like you were the underdog? Definitely. So, I, I mean, I think I've been an underdog uh, more so than I've, you know, really, really succeeded, if that seems uh, a bit strange, you know. I was an underdog um, when I was a teenager. I had a, a learning challenge and I went to a special school. I was taken out of my normal school. I went to this special school and I really, I think it was my X-Men moment. You know, it was a school filled with unique individuals who were taught by, you know, a, a, 
uh, real life Professor Xavier. And really, that was a self-doubt moment because I remember asking my dad, I'm just like, do I have to go here? Is this really necessary for me? He's like, yes, son, it is. And this was in, you know, 2005, 2006, as the school year began. But that experience was the most profound moment I've ever had. You know, I met my best friend. I, I was a real life example of neuroplasticity. I was changing my brain in real time. You know, I was implementing so many unique and cool ideas. Then fast forward, you know, 17 years on, uh, I was an underdog as a lawyer uh, in a firm I was with, in several firms that I was with and, you know, navigating that process. And I remember I was at a, uh, I was at a corporate commercial firm and I brought a client in my third day on the job, I brought in a client to a law firm I was with. And I remember I was getting, you know, plaudits from the associates. I was getting congratulations, but my boss never saw what others saw in me. And I said to myself, this is not the right environment. I, I, I can't truly become successful here. And that would have taken a lot of courage to actually come to that realization and go, this isn't for me. You know, most people yeah. dedicate their whole lives to becoming lawyers. And obviously you pushed through difficult challenge, personal challenges, learning challenges to become a lawyer. And arguably it's one of the hardest things to, to get into, right? Yeah, it took it took a lot of courage and it, it really, you know, took a lot of like self-belief, you know, in what is the bigger picture? You know, what is the bigger picture, uh, you know, to you people listening today, what is the bigger picture at this moment, the next quarter? The next year, what is the bigger picture looking like for yourselves and for your families and for your teams? Yeah, it's important to take that time to reflect on where you are headed. And I think that, you know, reflection, which I think it's something you're very good at, is reflecting on. And in the book, it really comes out that reflecting on the past, past behaviors, past experiences, past failures. We've got to reflect on that before we start to move forward. So what do you do? Exactly. I'm a huge fan of the past. I'm a huge fan of of the past, and it was very deliberately written, you know, recalling the past. There's this, there's this concept, it comes from, um, it's a psychological concept, but called euphoric recall. And really, it, when we're faced at our lowest moment, we recall instances of jubilation of that excited ourselves, and it tricks our mind into believing that it's going to be all good again. Now, when we think about the past, and we think about our past moment, past successes, we have to be willing to be mindful that I'm going to only look to the past because I'm faced with this moment, the flight or the fight syndrome. And I'm going to be willing to say to myself, I have overcome this in the past. I can do it again. Yeah. And that's a crucial thing is not to kind of live in the past where it defeats you, but live in the yeah. past where you can learn and build on that. Exactly. Exactly. And tell me this, if you were to describe an underdog to a listener, like what is the mentality and the mindset of an underdog? It's someone who's been willing to embrace punches left, right, and center. Someone who doesn't give up. Someone who, you know, whose best friend is face down on the boxing mat because they're willing to take the punches and succeed and go to where no one has gone before in the furtherance of their goals and their purpose. Now, when I wrote the book, I had this thesis in mind. And so too often we think about an underdog, we think about rags to riches, some kind of socioeconomic deprivation, 
but I wanted to turn it on its head. And it was very challenging to write how to turn it on its head. But really, it's about saying that an underdog is can flourish in circumstances as opposed to status there. You know, we don't have to be, you know, down and out all the time to be an underdog. To And I wanted to really reconceptualize that phrase because I, I think it's, that phrase is past its all day. And I think we can embrace it anew. We can embrace it when things are not going right this quarter. We can embrace it when, you know, we're forced to leave a firm or forced to leave a job that we love or when we have, you know, a heartbreak of some sort. We are all underdogs in that moment. Powerful. And what about a team? You know, from a team or an organizational standpoint, the underdog team, you know, whether it's the Liverpool back in the you know, mid 2000s, they were the underdogs. Like, how do we pull through? So, what do you think about in terms of advising someone who's leading a team? How does that underdog team become the victor? Well, you really become the victor by saying, you know, we're all a sum of our parts. You know, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Out of many strengths that we all all hold individually, that's how we can create a bigger team purpose. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, a standard operating ritual. We need to have that within our teams. What is a common set of practice, the definition of a ritual, that we can implement across our teams in the furtherance of our goals and and our, our purpose? Yeah, I mean, rituals are really the basis of excellence. When I look at our national team, so here in New Zealand, we have the All Blacks rugby team and they're world-class, world champions. But one thing they do at the start of every single game is the haka, which is uh, an incredible display that the whole team is involved in. It's a spiritual experience for them. But that ritual grounds them to their ancestors. It also grounds them to the present moment where they're going to battle and it then inspires them to take action. So in your life, where have you seen great teams or leaders implement rituals? What kind of rituals have you seen that are like just really simple but really powerful? So I, I used to work for uh, Canada's largest moving company. And every Monday, he would have us in the boardroom and say, you know, here are the KPIs. How is everyone doing today? Where is everyone winning today? So that was like a corporate example. But in terms of like a, a truly team dynamic, you know, I'm a big fan of, of football, soccer, to your, to your listeners. And Chelsea had a great manager, I think it was Roberto Di Matteo, sometime in the early 2000s. And I love this. He got people, different nationalities together to sing songs in their, in their native language at, you know, before a game or after a practice. And it brought everyone together on the same page. And I think that was such a strong sense of ritual and why rituals are so needed, especially in the corporate world when we're leading teams that are formed of many different strengths. How can we take everyone's different strengths and mold them into one? Because we, so one thing we can do is that after KPIs have been discussed, after the strategy has been laid out, we can talk to one another and say to our teammates, what has been your personal journey to get to this moment? You know, and not just taking off a box. So too, we're, we're always prone to doing that when we're faced with HR. Where have you come from? What's your experience, et cetera, et cetera. 
but we want to get deeper. We want to get singular on unlocking people's resiliency, unlocking people's potential. The only way to do that is have an open space, an open space, a welcoming space. And you do that by creating deeper empathy, creating deeper connection. So you can say to your teammate, where have you come from? Honestly, talk to me. Where have you come from? What's your journey been before you started on this team? You can do it on a whiteboard. You can take them out for coffee, on your lunch break, wherever you can find a time to really get to know your colleagues. And I think it's ever so vital in this post-pandemic corporate environment. Yeah, you're absolutely right. People will not trust you until they know you. And they can only know you when you take the time to invest and be curious. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we I, I, I have a saying, you know, I think empathy is the greatest and scarcest resource at the same time. It's mm-hmm. scarce because we don't use empathy enough, especially in the corporate environment. We don't empathize and say, you know, where have you truly come from? Really shedding the mask, shedding the mask, you know, shedding the ego. You know, there's a, a part in the underdog, you know, when he talks about about the mask and, and the main character is about, oh, I had these wins. I had that celebrated career. And the guy's like, buddy, that's just a mask. What's lying underneath that though? And it's so important to be willing to lift that lid. Yeah, that's, I actually really loved that part in the book where he was coming into the AA experience and he said like, hey, like I'm a success. I'm a legend. I'm a World Series champion. You guys are pretty much all hopeless and I'm not. Like I'm fine. And it's so interesting, you know, when you look at behavioral analysis, whether you do a DISC assessment or whatever way you go about assessing behavior, we all have this public mask. And my last live event, you know, we had 80 to 100 people arrive and we were talking about exactly this, Colby, about the mask. And I said, every one of you has a mask. And a few of them looked at me like, what are you talking about? This is who I am. I said, look, I spotted you when you're coming in the door and I watched your facial expressions. And when you were by yourself, nobody was watching. Your face and your posture was one way. As soon as you walked into the room, your face changed. You started greeting people. Your posture lifted up. That's your mask. That's the persona that you're trying to really push. So the underdog mask, what kind of mask do you think an underdog tends to resonate with? It's saying, just leave me alone. Leave me alone. You know, I'm not willing to be bothered by, you know, this petty discussion of the mask. You know, I don't know what my mask is because I've had it on for so long. You know, it's become like, you know, Leatherhead from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's become so welded onto me. Just leave me alone. Forget I even have a mask. But it's denial at the end of the day. You know, I, I think we have unconscious biases. I think we also have denial as well. And when those two get together, it's not good. So I think the underdog, you know, wears a tightly wound mask because he's he's unwilling to to do the work he's unwilling to look at himself and you know however flawed he is and i i think you know whether we're showing up as underdogs in our relationships getting on to valentine's day whether we're showing up as team members you know ceos leaders family members etc we all have a mask that we can seek to recede seek to chip away and remove that ego you know you can say ego edging edging god out or you can say ego 
entry gates only. It's about how you reframe that concept, really. Yeah, I really love that. The way I think of ego is very similar. It's a, it, either it's everyone's greatest obstacle or it's mm. everyone's greatest opportunity. And I, I really that. look at the underdog as a, it's, this is an opportunity for growth. Now, for someone who's got a high ego strength, and that can turn up as a big weakness as well, and they don't re- recognize that their ego is driving a lot of their desires, how does someone become aware that they are not their ego? Is there, is there a method, whether it's journaling or reflection? How, how would you suggest someone starts becoming aware of that inner ego? Well, I'd say, you know, so definitely journaling about it, trying to be mindful about it, but you can't be mindful about something that you don't know exists. So I'd say if you read the signal that, you know, I can only do this job for X, that could be a sign of an ego. If you need a, to use something as a crutch to get something done, where does that come from? You know, where does that really and truly come from? You know, if you look at, if you're with someone and, and you're vibing in the conversation, but you're only pulling certain amount of punches and you're not being truly transparent, you're not being truly forthcoming, that could be a sign of an ego. So it's about, you're right, these behavioral cues and these biases, but we have to try to be aware of it at some point. We have to try to truly, you know, acknowledge ourselves. And it could be just simple as looking in the mirror and saying, you know, how did I show up in this egoic sense today? Or did I not? And just keeping a daily tracker mentally about, did my ego get the best of me at this moment? Did it not? And going from there. Really, really powerful. Thank you. And Colby, see with you, your first book, that was Curveball. Prior to publishing it and then becoming best-selling author, did you have that uh, little bit of imposter syndrome, that underdog feeling? Oh, totally. 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 It was my first book in this field. And, you know, I was, I was scared. I was scared. But I knew that my how and sorry, my, my why was, was bigger than my how. You know, I was writing for a specific audience in mind directly then to write for the broader public. Because I was writing for the kids that I went to that special school with, that I had my learning challenge with, that, you know, supported me when I was bumping into them unconsciously in, in the halls in that school. You know, those small moments, I was like, yes, I'm writing for them, first and foremost, and then for everyone else. I, I wasn't carried away with, you know, how it's going to do to the wider public. I had a you know, I had a, a really clear purpose for writing that book. And then, then it was the action steps. You know, I wrote it on the subway to my job. I wrote it in a coffee shop. I wrote it next to my dad, you know, in our home. And just sitting there in quiet, just writing, 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 writing. And so it was, it was a really unique process writing that first book. And then 2020 came along and I started writing it in 2016. Four years later, this pandemic moment, I'm just like, I knew I had to to do something with it. I believe we should all be taking shots. Yes, you heard me right. Every morning, I take a double shot of Nutrient Rescue. Reason being, well, the harmful Western diet of heavily processed food 
combined with our busy, stressful lives means that 60 to 70% of people are missing out on their five a day of fruit and veg. This micronutrient poor diet has contributed to the modern epidemics of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and dementia. The studies prove it. Look, 87% of people who take the nutrient rescue shots reported feeling better within the first month. That's because 100% of the ingredients in nutrient rescue products are 100% grown in New Zealand. But look, don't take my word for it. Give it a try yourself. Using the code PURPOSE, you will get a 15% discount. So head over to nutrientrescue.nz and that 15% discount goes across any of their superfoods, including their starter pack. So cheers to you joining me for some shots. Oscar de la Renta put it perfectly. Fashion is about dressing according to what's fashionable. Style is more about being yourself. And that's one thing I always try to do, is try to be myself, whether I'm interviewing a former head of state, hanging with my family on the weekend, or working with some of my incredible clients. I try to always just be myself as much as possible. And part of that is dressing accordingly. But every now and then, a special occasion will call for some special fashion. And I am by no means any expert on fashion. And that's why I'm delighted to partner with Munns. Munns is back and it's better than ever. Located in the beautiful Tannery Emporium on Garlands Road in Christchurch. It offers a huge range for men with suits for hire and sale, ties, jeans, waistcoats, hats, sunglasses and more. So for all of your menswear needs, head along and check it out at munns.co.nz. See, there's these beautiful gifts that come from these challenges, the pandemic being a global challenge that we all experienced. And it's great that a gift like Curveball came from that. And to me, <laughs> leadership... Ironically, ironically, sorry, it was always going to be called a Curveball. Always. Isn't that amazing? You'd kind of like that little uh, synchronicity in within, these whisperings that were saying, call it Curveball, and then along comes COVID. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I love it. And hey, I was thinking, you publish a book, you become best-selling author. Now, a lot of people are one-hit wonders, right? And they're like, we've done it. I'm best-selling author. Let's live my life based on that. But great leaders know that leadership is not a destination. Success is not a destination. It's truly this ongoing journey. So to me, I think it's even harder to start writing a second book and then takes even more courage to publish the yeah. second book because there's a risk that, hey, you know, I'm going to not yeah. make a best-selling author. Now, after reading the book, I know you are, but that must be something you toyed with. It was like, how do I, you know, step into that courage? So would you mind shedding a bit of light on some of the thoughts yeah. that were going through your head after Curveball did so well, and then this courage to step into writing in another book? So really, I started to write The Underdog more than two years ago. So January, 2021. And I was just like, I knew I had to make this, you know, irrespective of whether it would had whether it would hit in the future the sales of the curveball, but I had to say to myself, you know, this is going to be my most personal book. I'm going to share things in this book that I might not have shared in the curveball, but yet it's going to be the most universal book because we've all been underdogs. We're all operating as underdogs, whether we want to say it or not. But 
this is the post-pandemic world we're in. You know, do we work from home or do we not work from home? You know, how do we split our time while caring for ourselves and our families? So it's going to be, I, I said to myself, those are going to be the key metrics to the, for the foundation for writing the underdog. And then I said to myself, what would I say in this story? And then I was just inspired by books that I just love. You know, I wrote the underdog in, you know, places around the world that are truly myself. You know, I went to law school and started it very grateful to be there in the Cayman Islands. I finished in Liverpool. I live in London. I have been on vacations in Italy. I adore Italy. And I had, I started to flesh out a story and I knew that I said to myself, I wanted to take Bryce down a notch because I'm really inspired by books that are like, you know, thrillers, you know, Grisham, The Firm. I love stories like that. And taking that inspiration and really making it into a world that was my own with the characters from the curveball. Yeah, it was incredible. I really, really enjoyed it. I felt like I was on that journey with you. And probably the reason I resonate with your style of writing is that I want to have something tactical I can really apply to my life or to my clients. And that's what I really love about that style. And, you know, when I think about you being the underdog, you know, before you started writing Curveball and now under, uh, the underdog book itself, you know, that mentality of how do I get there? Now, I firmly believe every underdog has one or many great mentors, coaches, leaders, yeah. uh, role models. Who in your life has been yeah. really instrumental in helping you as a mentor or as a role model? My dad, first and foremost. Definitely, definitely him. I mean, the, the inspiration, the guidance, you know, just the times together, you know, the tactics, you know, I mean, writing the book and, you know, having his guidance right next to me, just in that very visceral sense was just, he's just been incredible in his support and his love and his just his inspiration in this career and in the law career and just guiding and saying, I'm going to support you no matter what. And I'll always be there. So my dad, 100%. Um, Richard Branson for being authentic with that learning challenge and saying to ourselves, saying to the world, you know, we are underdogs, but that's okay because we are meant to do the things that only we can do, only we can see, to do things in a new way, to shift our perspectives anew. And I think that's what's so important with this, like, underdog message and it's you know universality you know we are all have been underdogs even though we've been doubted even though we've been called names even though we've been you know discounted and discouraged and you know ideas disproved but this is our moment then. this is how as an underdog we can truly truly you know shape the world as we as we see it I love it. And, you know, you had your dad there and you had Richard Branson. So one person who's very intimate, very close to you, and then someone that you're learning possibly from afar and watching and being inspired by. Now, how important is it as an underdog, as a human, as a leader, to really protect that sphere of who you let into your inner circle? How important is it to get the right people around you and keep the wrong people away? It's vital. It's vital because, you know, even as an underdog, especially as an underdog, I should say, you know, we're in this unique moment where, you know, people are discounting us. People are you know, actively out to diminish our potential. And I think when we 
we have that mentality, when we have that, you know, I have so much to prove ultimately to myself, but, and also to the world who's have doubted us. I think of Michael Jordan, you know, when he was cut from his high school team, you know, he went back to his brother, Larry in North Carolina. Let's go, go again. Let's go again. Let's play pickup. Let's play until our, our, we can't play anymore. You know, I think that mentality of that underdog, you know, that unrelentingness, that, you know, perseverance above all else, that, you know, that audacity to really claim, you know, our time in the spotlight as an underdog, I think that's so vital to have. So we have to be very cognizant about who we let in, you know, in this special moment, because it's like we're being recreated anew in this moment, but especially for this moment. And we have to be willing to really be vigilant and very vital about how we spend our resources. Mm, good advice. And Colby, sometimes the people that are closest to us, it may be our longest standing friends, it could even be family. Sometimes some of them are not the most positive influence. Sometimes they are our greatest critics. So what's your advice to the person who has some of those really close people? How can they just create a bit of space or gently create a bit of distance between themselves and these critics? Well, I think kind of the first like signal you want to check in is like, are you people pleasing? Are you people pleasing your families, like your friends, you know, colleagues, coworkers? Really check in on that. I think the second thing is really trying to create as like a boundary as much as possible. You know, it, it, can, it can go inf- incrementally creating a boundary. You can start with, you know, I'm not going to do X if Y is not done. And you can just go from there. You can just build on the boundary, build on the boundary build on the boundary. I, I think it's harder as a family because you could have some blind spots, but it's important to really overcome that. And we do that by going incrementally, you know, shedding outer perfection and embracing inner reflection and saying to ourselves, you know, I'm doing this for a purpose. It's not against you. It's not to be antagonistic, but it's to be realistic with my energy and my resources and how I'm willing to show up as an underdog in this moment. Mm, Thank you for sharing that. And I find authors fascinating. I think that authors are some of the most courageous people on the planet because they literally open their souls and their hearts up for the world to read and either, you know, celebrate them or criticize them. So that takes a lot of vulnerability. So I want to know, how do you manage your vulnerability? How do you express it? How do you step into the world and go, you know what? I'm publishing this bad boy and I'm putting it out there. You know, when I was trying to publish The Underdog, you know, a lot of people said, you know, is this the right moment to publish it? Should you wait a second? Should you wait a week? And it was just like, should I listen to that? Or should I go full speed? Or how do I calibrate the strengths and the speed at, you know, in terms of how do I get this out into the world? So I think to, to go back to your question, it's really saying that what am I meant to do? Really going gut instinct and trusting your gut and trusting you know, your instincts because you only have your gut and your instincts to rely on. No one else is going to really say, you know, here is the roadmap to accomplishing the seemingly like audacious goal. So you have to really you know, trust your gut. And, you know, I was lucky. I, I think I learned from my experience with the curveball, you know, what do I trust? And really getting in 
to detail with like, how do I become perfectionist about certain details? What am I willing to really, you know, leave out? Um, and you know, being vulnerable, but in a way that really makes the story shine. And I think about vulnerability on a scale. And we can, I think the Japanese have a great like proverb on, you know, the three selves. There's one self you share with friends and family, one self you share to the world, one self you keep hidden in a box. So I think when we're talking about like vulnerability on that like spectrum, what is a vulnerability that would be great at this moment that would highlight the strengths that would highlight, you know, and really make the story pop that people can resonate with, especially when you have like a universal message, like an underdog and, and how it would just shape the message. Mm, powerful. And Colby, one thing I've read about the great authors, the prolific authors that just keep on putting out, as soon as they've publish sent, sent the book to the publisher, their habit tends to be very quickly thereafter, they start writing the next book because they are authors, they are writers in their DNA. So for you, people can get underdog right now. And in fact, just for a second, before I, before I ask the question, I'm going to just say for the listener, I know most of you are listening on a mobile device. Please, if you're not driving, or if you are driving, pull over right now, go to Amazon and order Underdog by Colby Sharma. Get it ordered, support this amazing author, enjoy the book and see how it impacts your life. So I just wanted to put that out there to tell people. Thank you. Now you're welcome. So for you, what's the next step? What's, what's Colby's dream? Like, where are you headed as an author? Where are you headed in life? I want to help as many people as possible, you know, realize their own true underdogness. You know, I think underdogs are incredible people. I think, you know, people shouldn't be discounted because they've overcome something tremendous. I think that is the beauty about being an underdog. You know, we've been discounted so many times. We've been uh, on this journey to prove, most importantly, to ourselves. So I want to be there with people to unlock their greater resiliency and their own underdogness and really help people uh, with my, you know, authenticity message etc and through my books and my speaking and we're going to talk about your speaking in a minute as well i really want to dive into that but with the books have you got any inklings or whisperings of what the next book might involve or where it might take you honestly no honestly no i'm just like great to be here right now in this moment it's coming out soon and it's going to be sharing with as many people as possible you know on lives anywhere i can so i don't have anything concrete about the third one right now but i'm just grateful to be here in this moment and just relishing it and hopefully people would like what i wrote well that's right and they'll keep buying every book you, you put out there you know certainly from the curveball the feedback was just incredible so i'm looking forward to seeing the feedback as well with underdog now let's talk thank about you. your speaking you. because great speakers yeah can really move people. Great speakers can inspire people to action. Great speakers can change people's lives in an instant with one line, with one tiny little insight. So what is it about speaking that you truly love? So I've always been a people person. I've always been, I said people person, not people pleasing person. So people person, I love connecting with people. I love 
I love, you know, networking, building great relationships. Um, you know, I debated in high school, I mooted mock trial in law school. So I've always been very natural in front of others and talking and sharing a message, whether that's like an oral argument or a debate, et cetera. Uh, so it's very natural to, to be a, like a speaker. And I just think I, I have something to share, you know, unlocking your greater resiliency in your teams to do great work and master times of deep change, specifically for like the younger employees and team members and companies and organizations. You know, they've come through three and a half years of pandemic, you know, isolation, you know, job closures, you know, restrictions. and we're forced to come anew in this moment and think it is like the pre-2019 working environment. It's not. We need a new playbook for this new time in the world. 100%. And when you think about that playbook, you know, leaders have got to lead those others around them, but they've got to lead themselves first. So how does an existing leader lead themselves right now so that they are equipped to actually help these young aspiring leaders to that next level? Start by going back to basics, you know, implementing a standard operating ritual, number one, you know, creating an open space, a safe space, number two, really getting to know your team members, really truly getting to know them, not because you're forced to, to know them. There's a huge difference. Really trying your best to figure out their journeys where they've come from, and instilling that as a practice amongst a wider organization. So you have, you know, quarterly like get-togethers where you talk about really deep stuff that is affecting your coworkers and your team members. I think number three is acknowledging the fact that, you know, we don't just have economic crises. We have an adaptability crisis. We have to be willing to adapt in times of deep change, adapt ourselves to post-pandemic world. Um, and I think numbers four and five, you know, get back to basics, having a mindset of, you know, tabula rasa, you know, blank slate, uh, shedding perfection and embracing inner reflection, um, really implementing practices that are not solely focused on, you know, KPI-driven, results-driven, but where people can feel the best at the workplace, you know, even if they are going to maybe leave your company, really acknowledging the fact that instead of belittling and holding that in, really acknowledging that, okay, I did something right to foster a community and a culture now that this person is choosing to go, but she's going to take something great from this experience. Mm, great insights. Thank you, Colby. And I was also you know, just thinking about underdogs and underdogs are hungry. Underdogs want to eat. They're willing to fight. And yeah. often when an underdog becomes a victor and let's say a world champion or an Olympian or Fortune 100 company, whatever it might be, often what got them to there won't get them to the next stage. And sometimes yeah. they revert and get a bit complacent. So when an underdog, and there might be someone listening right now who was an underdog and is now a victor, but that can easily slip away. So what's your yeah. advice to someone to always maintain the hunger of an underdog? I think really looking to the past is powerful. I think thinking about a time where something was viscerally taken from you, viscerally taken from you 
what was an opportunity or your chance to do something, you know, Como, the cost of missing out. What was something that was taken from you and really marinating in that thought and in that feeling? Because I think it'd be pretty powerful. You know, what was something that was taken from you and you're striving to get it back? I think when we go down to that level, then it's like, okay, playtime's over. The underdog mode is engaged. And we can go through that again and again. I think going back to the curveball, sometimes we have to lose something to find everything. I think it's in, it's in loss, it's in tough times, it's in adversities. And I don't mean to advocate for that in a detrimental self, self sense to anyone. <clears throat> but loss as in when the ego gets diminished and chipped away. Loss as in when something was taken from you. That's what I mean. So when you get into that mode, you're like, okay, I can do this. I can, I'm willing to be hungry in the pursuit of my goals. Mm. And that's it. I think that hunger is the one thing that drives the greats. And certainly people who are winning four or five, six back-to-back championship titles or awards, it's easy to get complacent. But if they keep coming back to what you write about, which is that underdog desire, that burning desire to succeed, I mean, it's going to fuel them to stay at the top of their game, I think. Totally. You know, we go back to Jordan. I, I think Jordan, in my opinion, is the greatest of all time. You know, what was taken from him was the spot on the high school team that was taken from him. So when you tap into that and you hold that within you, that is a powerful feeling to keep tapping into again and again and again, especially when we get to like a success when we get to the next milestone and the next deliverable is done. What can we keep doing again and again to shed that formula? Mm-hmm. And for the listener that's listening right now, I would love to challenge you to think what was taken from you in your life? What was taken and why did it mean so much? How did you feel about it? And why are you committed to, to never letting that happen again? And I think that's fuel, right, Colby? Totally. That's the, it's the most potent fuel for sure. I think what was taken from me when I went to the special school, I what was taken from me was those couple of years that wasn't in the normal school so i didn't have that normal kind of friends that normal kind of experience which was okay because i made up for that but those kind of years were were hard because i was out of a school i had to get added tuition but that molded me that shaped me that really fortified my hunger my drive uh, and that experience you know, let me to high school, the university, and law school. Yeah, it's incredible. And when you look back, you know, at the time it would have been tough having to, to move to this school. But now you look back on it as a gift, right? Totally. Absolutely. That's a mindset shift. We can look back with totally. uh, re- like resent- resentment, but you're actually looking back with total appreciation. Nothing but pride. Nothing but, pride. Nothing but- you know, good memories, happy memories. Um, I remember like when I was first at the school and I was having a tough time acclimatizing to that school, but they said, okay, we're going to go through it incrementally. We're going to set you a daily and weekly goal to hit in your respective exercises. When you hit that goal, you know, et cetera, it's going to get easier 
etc. It's going to, you're going to build capacity to go out again and harder. So I think that environment and being around people that really stimulated you, that stimulated me and forced me to really say to myself, you're okay. You're meant to be here and we're going to help you get to where you want to go. Yeah. And you must be proud. I think being proud of oneself is such an important thing. You know, having other people be proud of you is great, but actually, you know, being proud of yourself. And I hope that you're at that point where you can really truly be proud. I definitely am. I definitely am. Yeah. And Kobe. One at a time. One at a time. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I would say, you know, the, two people that are probably the biggest role models in our lives or maybe three are our caregivers, our key caregivers. And often, you know, I look up to Nelson Mandela. I look up to Richard Branson, like you just mentioned. They're they're just great leaders. But actually, our greatest role models and our greatest leaders are our parents or our key caregivers. So if you think about your parents, what are some of the key values that you think they've instilled in you that have helped you become the Colby that you are today? So what I take from my dad, I take, you know, hunger, persistence, uh, attention to detail, really being, you know, not a perfectionist in a truly egoic way, but a perfectionist in terms of, you know, service in the product, really perfectionist in terms of making the story as best as it can be, making the presentation the best it can possibly be, Um, you know, just be willing to help others at any single time you can, really serving others the best you can in your way. Um, you know, never letting obstacles get in your way. My mom would just be, you know, one door might be closed, but 10 open. You know, being willing to really go on the back foot for several years until you find what you're truly meant to do. Uh, overpouring of love, both gave, are given tremendous love, um, nurturing, great guidance, both of them. Uh, yeah, I'm truly grateful to have incredible parents. Yeah, and you're so blessed. Not everyone has that. And, you know, that is a blessing and that's going to guide you uh, through the rest of your life. And, you know, just to wrap up a little bit, I'd love to just spend a little bit of time thinking deep into the future. And mm-hmm. you know, if we were to fast forward, and Colby, it's your last day here on planet Earth. And you know it's your last day. We're many years in the future. And a really young individual, maybe a maybe a grandchild, just a really young child comes up and says, Colby, 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 I, you've lived an amazing life. Can you please let me know how can I lead my life on purpose? What advice would you have for them? Son, grandson, whoever you may be, I'm a perpetual overcomer of adversity. You have to be willing to perpetually overcome adversity in the furtherance of your dreams and in your goals, because that is the only way anything can get done. That is the gateway to leading on purpose and finding a fulfilled life. Incredible. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. And just as the listeners listening right now, I just want to thank the listener for, for listening deeply, taking notes, uh, maybe sharing some of it with their friends. But please do me a couple of things. You know, leading is not just listening, it's taking action. So for the listener, please go to Instagram, 
and connect with Colby Sharma. Make sure and add him on follow on Instagram. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, also, make sure to go to Amazon. And if you're a reader, go there and get it and, and learn from it. Share it with friends. And Colby, is there anything else you'd like the, the listener to take away before we wrap up? If uh, any of you are interested in, in my speaking and how can I help add value to your organization, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Colby Sharma, and at my website, www.colbysharma.com. Brilliant. I'll put all and of that in show notes. For my newsletter for the underdog and its official release. Magic. Hey, I just can't wait to hear over the coming months how this release and this launch goes. I'm here to support you. I'll be getting copies from my clients. So thank you so much for taking no the time. No worries. Thank you, everyone. Really appreciate it. Tremendous time with you all. Thanks, Colby. Thanks for tuning in today and investing in your own personal leadership. Please hit that subscribe button and I'd love if you'd leave me a rating and review. I've got some amazing guests lined up for you in the coming weeks. And leaders, it's that time to get out there and lead your life on purpose.